So today we're supposed to be in Isaiah chapter 11, but maybe we can actually start off in the book of Revelation chapter 19. And what I want to do tonight is um, share a topical study. It's going to be like an old-fashioned Bible study, topical study, where I'll probably have you turn to a few scriptures. And what I would encourage you to do is to write down the scriptures because there's a wide range of individuals here. Some of you guys are probably really familiar with the millennial kingdom. Um, Some, like they have like a general understanding. Uh, Some really don't know much at all. And even me as a pastor, uh, I mean, I'm reading about it, and then I'm, but I'm wondering, okay, where exactly are the scriptures that kind of put the pieces of the puzzle together to teach us about the millennial kingdom? And so I thought we would do uh, a topical study tonight on the millennial kingdom. It's something that's very important. And as we're going through the book of Isaiah, I, I doubt it if we're going to finish early, but if we finish super early, then I'll teach chapters 11 and 12 because they're really, really um, just straightforward chapters. Um, but as you go through the book of Isaiah, you're going to read a lot about the millennial kingdom. You read it over and over and over again. I mean, just clearly talking about the millennial kingdom. And so that's why it's important to understand the doctrine, the eschatology, the, the whole Bible. What does it say regarding the millennial kingdom? And so this way, when we understand the topical part of it, the theology, the eschatology, then as we're going through Isaiah, we'll have a better understanding of it. Now, right off the bat, just to let you know, the millennial kingdom is when Jesus Christ returns to earth. Okay, so we're first thing is the rapture. That can happen at any moment. Are you ready? Okay, it can happen at any moment. Then the seven-year tribulation, right? So seven years of God's wrath poured out on earth, God's spirit poured out on Israel. We're going to see during the tribulation period, that's when the Antichrist rises up to power. That's when you all you need is the mark, you know, the chip or whatever to, to buy or sell. We see signs of the globalism everywhere. So, you know, we're seeing, we're right, we're close to this. The rapture, seven-year tribulation, and then what comes after that Jesus Christ returns, and then he is going to rule on earth as the king for a thousand years. Okay, that's the millennial kingdom. Look what we read here in Revelation 19, in in verse 11. Now I saw heaven opened, and behold, a white horse, and he who sat on him was called faithful and true. And in righteousness, he, he judges and, and makes war. And his eyes were like a flame of fire. And on his head were many crowns. And he had a name written that no one knew except himself. And he was clothed with a robe, notice, dipped in blood. And his name is called the Word of God. And the armies in heaven, clothed in fine linen, white and clean, followed him on white horses. And out of his mouth, it says in verse 15, goes a sharp sword that with it he should strike the nations. And so if you can visualize Jesus returning on a white horse, you can visualize uh, maybe the angels, um, us also coming on, on these horses to judge the earth. Now Jesus, it says, has a sword coming out of his mouth, and with it he smites the nations. It doesn't swing the sword, he just speaks the word. He speaks the word And all this crazy wickedness, all the things that 
we're doing to deserve judgment, he is going to deal with it at that time. And so he comes um, after the tribulation period, and it says he himself, it says in verse 15, will rule them with a rod of iron. And so we're going to see during the millennial kingdom, he's going to, this justice will be swift and severe and perfect and People will still get out of line, but if they do, Jesus is going to deal with them. And so it's going to be an interesting time. It says, he himself treads the winepress of the fierceness and wrath of Almighty God. Wait until you read Isaiah 63. That's what it talks about. So it says in verse 16, and he has on his robe and on his thigh a name written, King of Kings and Lord of Lords. And so in verse 17, it says, And I saw an angel standing in the sun, and he cried with a loud voice, saying to all the birds that fly in the midst of heaven, Come and gather together for the supper of the great God, that you may eat the flesh of kings, the flesh of captains, the flesh of mighty men, the flesh of horses, and of those who sat on them, and the flesh of all people, free and slave, both small and great. And I saw the, the beasts, the kings of the earth, and their armies gathered together to make war against him who sat on the horse and against his army. And then the beast was captured, and with him the false prophet who worked signs in his presence, by which he deceived those who received the mark of the beast and those who worshipped his image. And these two were cast alive into the lake of fire, burning with brimstone. And the rest were killed with the sword, which proceeded out of the mouth of him who sat on the horse, and all the birds were filled uh, with their flesh. And so that's the end of the tribulation period. When Jesus returns, he captures the, the false prophet and the beast, throws him alive into the lake of fire, and then everyone else that deserves judgment, he just speaks it, man, just in a, in a moment, and, and, he just, and, he, and, he, and he cleans house, Right? Because God is a just God. God is a holy God, right? And so he comes uh, after the tribulation period. But then we read in verse 1, And then I saw an angel coming down from heaven, having the key to the bottomless pit, and a great chain in his hand. And he laid hold of the dragon, that's the devil, that, that serpent of old who was the devil, and, and Satan, and bound him for a thousand years. And he cast him into the bottomless pit, and shut him up, and set a seal on him, so that he should deceive the nations no more till the thousand years were finished. But after these things, he must be released for a little while. And so can you visualize that? This angel, he comes, he's got this chain, he puts it on Satan, he throws him into the abyss, and he's going to be there for a thousand years. And so we're saying, okay, that's cool. Why doesn't God leave him there? Well, we're going to see why. God's going to test the world later when there's probably close to 20 billion people on planet Earth after everyone multiplies during the millennial kingdom and Satan's going to be released again. But in the meantime, he's in the abyss for a thousand years. And then we read in verse 4, And I saw thrones, and they sat on them, and judgment was committed to them. And then I saw the souls of those who had been beheaded for their witness to Jesus and for the word of God, who had not worshipped the beast or his image and had not received his mark on their foreheads or on their hands, and they lived and reigned with Christ for a thousand years. That's the millennial kingdom where, you know, us Christians, we will, we will reign with Christ for a thousand years. And it's going to be amazing. 
You know, one of the reasons that uh, Isaiah talks about it so much, though, is because you have to have this hope inside your heart. You have to know, when you look at the leaders, and you look at the political scene, and you look at the, you don't know what's true anymore, and you're just so frustrated, and then things happen, and people are passing, and people are suffering, and wickedness is just abounding, you know? And, and you, you got to know, though, that, that but one day, Jesus will come, and he'll reign in Jerusalem, and he'll rule the world, King Jesus, and, and we'll be with him. See, the reason why Isaiah writes about it so much is because Israel was going to go through a lot of trials. You know, in 722, the Assyrians would come. Uh, Isaiah was writing about this before it happens, but they would come and they would conquer the northern kingdom, the ten tribes of Israel in 722 BC. They would take the, the leaders of Israel and they would take their scalps. I mean, they killed them. And then they would stack up all the skulls in front of the city gates. And they would take the people and they would rape the women and they would cut their, the pregnant woman. They would cut them open. They would cut off limbs. They would cut out eyes. They would carry them away to Assyria. And the northern kingdom was so devastated that there are some people who believe they would never recover. Some theologians today believe that there's a 10 lost tribes, but that's not true. But I'm just telling you, that's how bad it got for them. And then 136 years later, in the year 586 BC, the Babylonians came and they leveled the southern kingdom of Judah and they conquered Jerusalem and they destroyed the temple. And so um, Isaiah knew things were going to get dark. Things were going to get crazy. They were going to go through tremendous trials. I mean, you guys probably know this, but just in case you didn't know, Isaiah, do you know how he died? King Manasseh had him sawn in half. So I was thinking about this. I'm like, wow, imagine us today living in a world where the leader of the world sawed, you know, someone like Billy Graham in half or, or Chuck Smith. Imagine like how we would feel about the wickedness of those days. This person, I can't believe these are the days that we're living in. And so Israel would face that. The Jews would face that. They would face the trials. And so that's why Isaiah writes so much about the hope, about the day when King Jesus would come and rule on planet earth, when justice will be served, and, and they would have their kingdom, and the messianic prophecies would be fulfilled. Isaiah writes that, and I think it's important for us, you know, because you guys, I know, are going to go through things. I know for sure, because we live in broken bodies and broken world, and we fight fallen angels, and we're going to go through tremendous trials. And the enemy, sometimes he tries to just make us think like it's over, it's done, you know, we don't have any hope for the future. And, and God, he just, you know, he puts it right there. Oh, yes, you do. You know, Jesus Christ, the King of Kings, he still has this amazing plan. And so looking at the millennial kingdom, it's very important for us to remember this. And there's a lot of factors involved. Um, when we look at the whole scheme of things today, uh, I want to give you three primary points. Number one is the king reigning. Number two is the Christians co-reigning. And then number three, the citizens and Satan coexisting 
and resisting. And I, and I, I grappled hard with this. And you might think, well, that's not really that great of an outline. But man, I was all like just, man, Lord, how can we kind of put like some, some type of uh, a sense to this, cohesion to this? And this is kind of where I ended up. You know, first of all, we got to know that the king is reigning, that the millennial kingdom, which follows the seven-year tribulation, will usher in the reign of Jesus Christ. You know, you go back, and there's so many places and scriptures that we can go to, which is why it's important to know the millennial kingdom, because when you cover them and you're reading through them, you'll have a good understanding of what they are. How many of you guys have heard of the Davidic covenant? The Davidic covenant, right? And that was the promise to David that through his lineage, the king would come one day who would rule the world. And you read in 2 Samuel, for example, chapter 7, verses 12 through 16, and the Lord told him, you know, the Lord communicated that through David and to his descendants that one day they would have the king who would rule forever. And so that rule is that ruler is none other than, than Jesus Christ. Remember when the book of Acts, when Jesus was taken up and he ascended into heaven, uh, it, it talks about how you know the apostles were there and they were wondering where he was going. And you guys know this, huh? That when the Messiah came, they thought that he was going to set up his kingdom then. They didn't understand. Well, Lord, what's where are you going? What do you mean dying? You're supposed to reign. They they knew that clearly. And that's why we read in Acts chapter 1, 6 and 7, it says, Therefore, when they had come together, they asked him, they asked Jesus, saying, Lord, will you at this time restore the kingdom to Israel? And he said to them, It is not for you to know times or seasons which a father has put in his own authority. You know, they, they knew that that time would come. And it's very important. This is why one of the reasons we love Israel. This is one of the reasons we love Jerusalem is because, you know, we know that God has plans for this place. And, you know, when you read the scriptures, some people, even some Christians, unfortunately, they think God's done with Israel. No, he's not. Israel will rule. Jesus will rule from Jerusalem. And so that's why they were asking the question, is it now, Lord, you're going to restore the kingdom now? And the Lord says, no, I'm going to be um, ascending into heaven. You guys got a church, you know, to plant and build. And in the, in the meantime, just know that one day it'll come. One day the king would come. And we read in Isaiah 32, for example, in verse 1, it says, Behold, a king will reign in righteousness. You know, some churches, as sad, you know, majority of Protestant church, even the Catholic church, they don't believe in a literal, actual thousand-year reign of Jesus. And yet, it's mentioned six times, uh, literally a thousand years in the book of Revelation over and over and over again. And so we got to know, it starts there, that the king is coming with Christ on his earthly throne. The world will experience a thousand years of peace and tranquility. The world, you guys would probably know this, huh? If Jesus reigns literally, physically in Jerusalem, do you guys think the world's going to be different? It's going to be miraculously, supernaturally, powerfully, not just politically. It is going to be, in a, in a God sense, completely different because of the fact that he reigns. You know, it's interesting. There's a lot of different things that we can mention how it's going to be so much better when Jesus reigns. 
one of the things that's interesting, I read it in today in my Bible reading, Isaiah 65, verse 24. It says, It shall come to pass that before they call, I will answer, and while they are still speaking, I will hear. Now, it's an interesting passage because it's in the context of the millennial kingdom. And even now, I know the Lord is quick to answer, but, but then, during the millennial kingdom, it'll be even quicker. And it's kind of like you guys have a certain Wi-Fi signal, and then you know, sometimes you get some that are stronger. During the millennial kingdom, anything, you know, there's a need, you say a prayer, I mean, it's just going to be so amazing how it's going to be different. People will be different. We read in Isaiah 32, 4 and 5, even the hotheads will be full of sense and understanding. Those who stammer will speak out plainly. In that day, ungodly fools will not be heroes. That's what we see today, right? Scoundrels will not be respected. You know, in that day, people will be different. In that day, people will live longer. In the millennial kingdom, infant mortality rates will be non-existent. And that's so cool because obviously there'll be no abortions, you know. I mean, the kids will live. The human lifespan during the millennial kingdom will be well beyond 100 years. I mean, we're probably talking about a time during the millennial kingdom where people will live like they did in the early days in the book of Genesis. I mean, probably hundreds of years. They won't have to worry about the actions of invaders or tyrannical governments. They'll be able to enjoy the fruit of their own labor and live the way God intended. As a matter of fact, there's one passage that says they're going to be harvesting quicker than they can plant. I mean, the whole earth will be transformed under the reign of Jesus. Isaiah 65, 20 through 22, it says, No longer will babies die when only a few days old. No longer will adults die before they've lived a full life. No longer will people be considered old at 100. Only the cursed will die that young. In those days, people will live in the houses they build and eat the fruit of their own vineyard, unlike the past, and invaders will not take their houses and confiscate their vineyards, for my people will live as long as trees. Imagine that. And my chosen ones will have time to enjoy their hard-won gains. And that's why I mentioned to you earlier that some people estimate that when this happens, when Jesus comes and, and rules for a thousand years, that the, the population might be as high as 20 billion people. And so again, we don't know for sure, but it's interesting how you know, things are going to be different. Prayer is going to be different. People will be different. People will live longer. People will live in peace. Um, God will rule and he will do so with a rod of iron now, of course, we know there'll be no wars during this time. We read that back in Isaiah chapter 2, in verse 4. It says, He shall judge between the nations and rebuke many people, and they shall beat their swords into plowshares and their spears into pruning hooks. Nations shall not lift up sword against nation, neither shall they learn war. They're not going to study the logistics or strategies of war any longer. Imagine that. You know, they're, they're beating their swords into there'll be no war it's going to be an amazing time basically the millennial kingdom will be peace on earth it'll be that peace that mankind has always craved that that's what's going to be going on people will be different animals will be different you guys probably remember this you know we can safely assume that jesus reign will affect the entirety of nature and so all violent conflicts within the animal kingdom 
itself and between the animals and other humans will disappear. And so as a result, uh, animals will live in a state of peace with humans. And it, it almost seems like hard to imagine, huh? Isaiah eleven six through 9, it says, In that day the wolf and the lamb will live together. The leopard will lie down with the baby goat. The calf and the yearling will be safe with the lion. And a little child will, will lead them all. The cow will graze near the bear and the cub and the calf will lie down together. The lion will eat hay like a cow and the baby will play safely near the hole of a cobra. Yes, a little child will put its hand in a nest of deadly snakes without harm. Nothing will hurt or destroy in all my holy mountain. For as the waters fill the sea, so the earth will be filled with people who know the Lord. And so when they're going through the craziness of being conquered by Assyria or being conquered by Babylon or just the, the atrocities of life, the Lord, through Isaiah, is just, you guys see it over and over again, just spread throughout the book. But just know, just know one day King Jesus will rule on planet Earth. And this is just a little bit of what it will be like. You know, when you see the animals uh, lying down with each other it's a symbolic i mean it's a, it's a literal thing but it's a it's a revelation of the peace and prosperity that we will enjoy during those days and so millennial kingdom number one the king is reigning okay and so that's gonna be awesome but number two and this is interesting the christians will be co-reigning and so we will rule with or under Christ. Isaiah 32, 1, I read the first part earlier, but let me finish the whole sentence. It says, Behold, a king will reign in righteousness, and princes will rule with justice. And so he's going to reign. We're going to also reign with him. We will be in our glorified bodies. We will have the mind of Christ. We will rule with righteousness. We will rule with his rod. I mean, it's going to be absolutely amazing. Remember the promise the Lord gave to the church of Thyatira in Revelation 2, 26 and 27. He who overcomes and keeps my works until the end. To him, I will give power over the nations. Think about that. He shall rule them with a rod of iron. They shall be dashed to pieces like a potter's vessel, as I also have received from my father. The Lord says, hey, just like I have this power to rule, I'm giving you the power to rule. And so, you know, you're ruling in righteousness, you're ruling in justice, you're ruling with a rod of iron, like this, I mean, with so much power that it's like you're just crushing a little clay pot whenever you have to deal with things. In Revelation 20, verse 4, we read earlier, and I saw thrones and, and they sat on them and judgment was committed to them. And then I saw the souls of those who had been beheaded for their witness to Jesus and for the word of God who had not worshipped the beast or his image, not received his mark on their foreheads or on their hands, and they lived and reigned with Christ for a thousand years. Now what we find is that during that time, there's going to be specific responsibilities, probably specific geographical locations. For example, you guys might remember that the apostles, the Lord promised to them that they would rule over the 12 tribes of Israel in Matthew 19, 28. So Jesus said to them, Assuredly, I say to you, in the regeneration, when the Son of Man sits on the throne of his glory, you who have followed me will also sit on 12 thrones 
judging the 12 tribes of Israel. So, so Jesus will be there in Jerusalem as king of kings and the apostles will be there also in Israel judging that geographical location. Well, what we'll find, I think, in, if you look at it, is that believers will have certain jurisdictions or geographical locations. I think Luke 19 talks about that. If you want to turn there. In Luke 19, in verse 11, it says, Now, as they heard these things, he spoke another parable, because he was near Jerusalem, and because they thought the kingdom of God would appear immediately. And therefore he said, A certain nobleman went into a far country to receive for himself a kingdom and to return. And so he called ten of his servants and delivered to them ten minas. And, and said to them, do business till I come. But his citizens hated him and sent a delegation after him, saying, we will not have this man to reign over us. And so it was that when he returned, having received the kingdom, he then commanded these servants to whom he had given the money to be called to him, that he might know how much every man had gained by trading. And then came the first, saying, Master, your mina has earned ten minas. And he said to him, well done, good servant, because you are faithful in a very little, have authority over 10 cities. Interesting. And the second came saying, master, your mina has earned five minas. And likewise, he said to him, you also be over five cities. And then another came saying, master, here is your mina, which I have kept put in the handkerchief for I feared you because you are an austere man. You collect what you did not deposit and reap what you did not sow. And he said to him, out of your own mouth, I will judge you, you wicked servant. You knew that I was an austere man and collecting what I did not deposit and reaping what I did not sow. Why then did you not put my money in the bank that at my coming, I might have collected it with interest? And he said to those who stood by, take the mina from him, give it to him who has 10 minas. And they said to him, master, he has 10 minas. And for I say to you that to ever who has will be given, and from him who does not have, even what he has will be taken away from him. But bring here those enemies of mine who did not want me to reign over them and slay them before me. Interesting. Uh, when you read this right here, you find that they were all given one mina. Ten were given one mina. Now, the other parable, which a lot of people like to compare it to this, is the parable of the talents, where some were given different amounts of talents. And so I think that when you're talking about the parable of the talents, we're talking about the, the different gifts that we have. And some people maybe have more gifts, or may have more opportunities type of thing. And so, you know, you've got to be faithful with whatever gifts you have. But what is it that we all have one of, only one of, our life? Only one life, soon it will pass. Only what's done for Christ will last. These guys right here, they all received one life. And what did they do? They did business. They served the Lord. One guy, man, he ended up with, with 10 more. And so what ended up happening was the reward was great. The reward equals a responsibility. And during the millennial kingdom, more than likely the way that it works is that he will rule over 10 cities. A lot of times people think that, 
well, you know what? I don't really have to learn a lot. I don't really have to be all that godly or have that type of character insight or discernment or whatever it might be because when I die, I'm going to be, you know, like just glorified and I'll be perfect. And they have a misunderstanding really of what life really is, that, that the things you're doing now, the things you're learning now, the way you're growing now, the way you're growing in knowledge and character and everything, that's all to be taken into consideration when it comes to the the life after the millennial kingdom and even on into eternity. And so, you know, the, the, the responsibilities that we'll have, the cities, the geographics, all that is based on our faithfulness now. And so when we're talking about the millennial kingdom, we realize, okay, King Jesus, he's reigning, but, but Christians are actually co-reigning. There's an interesting passage, 2 Timothy chapter 2 and verse 12. I, I, I actually would prefer it if you would turn there. Second Timothy chapter 2, it says in verse 11, this is a faithful saying, for if we died with him, we shall also live with him. If we endure... We shall also reign with him. Now, now notice the word if. That's a big word. Some people, they don't like see that word there. They like, well, some people are like, well, everyone endures. You know, once saved, always saved. Everyone endures. Then why are these words if there? Why is the word if in the book of Hebrews? He says, if we endure. We even read something like that earlier. If we endure, we shall also reign with him. And of course, we're talking about during the millennial kingdom. And he says, if we deny him, notice it says, it, he also will deny us. You know, and some people like to talk about, well, I went to church and I got saved. And you know what? I'm sure I'm good. And I, I can, I can I, you know, and the next thing you know, they're, they're not serving the Lord. They're not in fellowship. They're not really with that passion for God and and these things are, are, are following upon one another for a reason. If you endure, you'll reign. If you deny him, he will deny you. This is why it's so important that you stay close to Jesus. This is why it's so important that you abide in him. Because some people who used to serve the Lord, they're not anymore. That's all I know. And somebody say, well, they were never really saved or they didn't really know the Lord. If I were you, when I read my Bible, I would just take heed more to the warnings because notice what it says. If we endure, we shall also reign with him. If we deny him, he also will deny us. If we are faithless, he remains faithful. He cannot deny himself. Now, some people, unfortunately, they don't understand verse 13. Verse 13 is not like, well, if we're faithless, we're still going to be okay. We're still going to be saved. That's not what that verse teaches. It says, if we are faithless, he remains faithful to execute his judgment that he said he would. He can't deny himself. He can't deny his holiness. So for us, it's important, man. I think it's hard, you know, to run away from God and succeed at that. You know, and, and some people, perhaps they were never really saved. But I, I know for me, and listening to the teachings of Chuck Smith over the years, he said, I got to abide in Jesus. John chapter 15. You abide in him. You remain in him. You rest in him. Because if we endure, if we endure, 
one day we'll be able to reign with him. You see, you talk about the king reigning and the Christians co-reigning, but then number three, the citizens and Satan coexisting and resisting. And these are things that are going to happen during the tribulation period. Now, some people wonder, well, who actually lives in the millennial kingdom? Like, how did they start this whole thing off? And if for that, you know, you got to go to Matthew 25, if you would. And notice what we read in verse 31. Matthew 25, 31, it says, When the Son of Man comes in his glory, you know, that's Jesus, right? Revelation 19, and he comes in his glory, and all the holy angels with him, then he will sit on the throne of his glory, and all the nations will be gathered before him, and he will separate them one from another, as a shepherd divides his sheep from the goats. And he will set the sheep on his right hand, but the goats on the left. And then the king, notice the king, he will say to those on his right hand, Come, you blessed of my father, inherit the kingdom prepared for you from the foundation of the world. For Notice it's interesting when he says in verse 35, For I was hungry, and you gave me food. I was thirsty, and you gave me drink. I was a stranger, and you took me in. I was naked, and you clothed me. I was sick, and you visited me. I was in prison, and you came to me. And then the righteous will answer him, saying, Lord, when did we see you hungry and feed you or thirsty and give you drink? When did we see you a stranger and take you in or naked and clothe you? Or when did we see you sick or in prison and come to you? And the king will answer and say to them, Assuredly, I say to you, inasmuch as you did it to one of the least of these, my brethren, you did it to me. And so if you keep it in context, when the Lord comes and he sets up, this is a judgment of the nations, and you know, you got the sheep and the goats, the sheep will enter in to the millennial kingdom. They survived the tribulation period. They're saved. And the reason we know they're saved is because of the works that they did and their treatment of the Jews. When you did this to the least of my brethren, he's talking about how during the tribulation period, people are going to get saved and they're going to give the Jews who are evangelists or struggling or just even probably to others that need that help, you know, the food and the clothing and just, you know, visiting them. And so the fruits, they didn't earn their salvation by their works. They proved their salvation by their works. And so the sheep are going to be the ones that enter into the millennial kingdom. But notice he says in verse 41, then he will say to those on the left hand, depart from me, you cursed, into the everlasting fire prepared for the devil and his angels. For I was hungry and you gave me no food. I was thirsty and you gave me no drink. I was a stranger and you did not take me in naked and you did not clothe me sick and in prison. You did not visit me. And then they're going to say, Answer him, Lord, when did we see you hungry or thirsty or stranger or need or sick or in prison and did not minister to you? And then he will answer them saying, Assuredly, I say to you, inasmuch as you did not do it to one of the least of these, you did not do it unto me. And these will go away into everlasting punishment, but the righteous into eternal life. And so this is who begins to inhabit the thousand years, the millennial kingdom, those who survived the tribulation period and were saved. Okay, so they go in uh, to the millennial kingdom. 
But what ends up happening, you guys, it doesn't take long. And you guys know this just as well as I do. That, you know, you got the one generation who, who experienced God, who got saved, who saw his wonders, right? And then, you know, you got the second generation that in many ways they reap the benefits of so great a salvation, right? But then it doesn't take long. You know, the third generation, it says in the book of Judges, there rose a generation that did not know the Lord or the works of the Lord. You know, and so imagine a thousand years after a thousand, yeah, the parents were saved. The ones who originally went into it were saved, but they're still human. They go in and maybe they try to teach their kids, but their kids won't listen or their grandkids or great-grandkids. The next thing you know, before you know it, you're going to find this place. Yes, Jesus is ruling with a rod of iron, and yes, people know that they better get in line or else they're going to get a trancaso, right? But do they really know the Lord? You guys know what I'm talking about. You guys know what I'm talking about. Those of you who are born again, you're born again of the Holy Spirit. Man can't do that. Parents can't do that. Grandparents can't do that. That has to be a personal decision, a personal miracle of life. All people can go through the, the motions and they can have a religion. But whether or not they really know the Lord, I mean, during the tribulation period, there's going to be probably 20 billion people. And we're going to see that probably, even though the Lord is showing them his goodness and this amazing life on planet Earth where he reigns, still inside of their hearts, they go astray, even though the devil is bound for a thousand years. We see that, right? We read that in Revelation chapter 20 in verses 1 through 3, that he was bound for a thousand years. Not a permanent sentence. We're going to see that afterwards he's released uh, once again. So, you know, you guys, my prayer is that you know this, um, uh, there's a lot of people out there who believe in what's called amillennialism. Amillennialism teaches that it's not a literal thousand years, that there's really no literal thousand years, that kind of like um, Jesus is ruling, but invisibly. And they actually believe that the thousand-year period, uh, the thousand-year reign of Christ already started. Can you believe that? Now, I will say this, that there was a time um, in the 1800s when missionaries were going out and it, it seemed like the world was, you know, getting blessed with the Christian missionaries and, you know, they were thinking that we're, we're making the world better and that, that theology just became so popular that we'll be able to do this, we'll be able to usher in, you know, the, the reign of Christ, although not literal, you know, it will, it will be, you know, the Lord working invisibly and so, um, you know, but then, you know, World War I, World War II, the Great Depression, I mean, this, this apostasy that we see now, how can people believe that Satan is bound in the bottomless pit right now? When you see all the wicked going on, homeboy must have a long chain or something. I mean, it's just crazy, right? And then there are some who believe what's called post-millennialism. They believe it's going to happen afterwards, but we believe in premillennialism. We believe in the literal, actual thousand-year reign of Christ. It's the, you know, the scriptures. We see it throughout the Bible, the Davidic covenant. Despite the fact, though, that Christ personally rules, 
we're going to see that Satan is released one final time. And some people will say, well, why did, why did God do that? Just really to show their true colors, who you really are. We're eventually, like I mentioned before, we're going to have to sing a solo before God. Eventually, we'll find out who we really are. We'll find out who they really are. And all it takes is Satan to come and to muster up this one final rebellion. While the millennial kingdom was initially populated with a remnant of Christ's followers, those who survive, uh, they're going to be a great multitude, but they didn't experience firsthand what their ancestors did. And sadly, some of these children and generations of descendants will refuse to bow the knee to Jesus Christ. I, I forgot who it was. One of the guys, John Milton, that's his last name, Milton. He wrote a book. I think it's called Paradise Lost. And he said that for whatever reason, some people have this mistaken mentality that they would rather rule in hell than serve in heaven. Some people have that. Oh, yeah, I'm just, I don't want to go to heaven and, and serve the Lord. And it's just crazy. You know, they want to do their own thing. They don't understand what hell is. They don't understand who God is. I mean, my son right now, he's going to school and he's learning these crazy things about, you know, the origin of the universe, the origin of the earth. And, you know, it's just so cool. I mean, he, we come home, we have these conversations and his, his eyes are open. He sees just the, the foolishness of it. But people have suppressed the knowledge of God. And so as a result of that, you know, when you don't know the Lord, if you're not born again, I mean, you, when Satan comes and he offers that temptation, believe you me, people will experience that final rebellion. The final rebellion by mankind will feature an army as numerous as the sands along the seashore, and they will surround Jerusalem and God's people. Imagine that after a thousand years of Jesus ruling. Satan comes up, he just lies, he gathers people together. We can beat this guy, this guy that wants to rule over us. And so we read in Revelation 20, verse 9, and they went up on the breadth of the earth and surrounded the camp of the saints and the beloved city, and fire came down from God out of heaven and devoured them. And like all previous rebellions against God, the siege will be yet another futile attempt to overthrow the power of God. Now, what happens after that? I think we have uh, one last table and for us to be able to see as Christians the order of events, how first there's the rapture, and we're going to get taken up. And so, like the Bible says, with Enoch, he walked with God, and he was not, for God took him. So what do you need to do? Walk with God, right? So the rapture, seven-year tribulation, all the signs that we see in the world today, all the globalism and all that kind of stuff, they're signs of things that are going to happen during the tribulation period. So rapture, tribulation period, Thousand-year reign of Christ is going to be so amazing. But then after that, we've got the new heaven and the new earth, and we're going to see that it's going to be our home. Well, finally, after all these years, we'll be home in heaven. And it's just so amazing, you guys. So as you're going through trials, as you're going through difficulties, as, you know, the Bible says the suffering of this world, they can't even begin to be compared to the glory that we're going to experience one day. We have this hope as an anchor. Because I know, and I, I think about it sometimes. I'm like, Lord, I, I even think of my, my brother Dick Trace. You know, right now, he's, they took out on a, a tumor or some type of tissue from his tongue. 
And so um, they have to give him radiation, like, I don't know, like 30 treatments of radiation. And so his entire mouth, uh, tongue, mouth, everything, is just covered with open sores. And so he is in tremendous pain, tremendous pain. And so obviously, you know, he's having a hard time eating. And just, just I was just thinking, Lord, but my brother, he's just like, you know, praise God. How can you do that when you're in so much pain, when you're going through so much? How can we do that? And the things that we'll experience, I mean, it's just, how can we praise God? It's because we know the end. We know. We have this hope. It's, it's sure. And it's an anchor for our soul. And so I pray, you guys, as we go through the difficulties of life, and, and you're wondering, well, man, I'm just giving everything to the Lord, and you know, I don't know how it all works. And, you know, you kind of sometimes you want to get a little worldly. You want to go and do your own thing and you want some me time and whatever it might be. And then you read about the Minas and how these guys, they gave their life to serve the Lord. Let me tell you something. It is not in vain. It is not. And one day you will be rewarded. I already said I got Hawaii and I'm thinking maybe Hawaii and Maybe Almani, a couple of cities here. We'll see. <laughs> but um, I, I encourage you, man, serve Jesus with a reckless abandon because he will bless. And so now we know a little bit about the millennial kingdom. If you have any questions, what I'm thinking about doing is putting the notes on the study. And so if you go to our, our study, um, I was messing with it today. I actually spent a couple of hours. I'm like, okay, I got to figure out how do you do this notes thing? And I finally figured it out. And so um, only because I want you guys to know this well, because I believe with all my heart, God will use it to encourage you through the difficult time.